Welcome, my friends, to Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat, the podcast that never ends, where we gather our clan and talk about the peace and love in our lives, the difficulties along the journey, and how we rise up from them. We will experience a little thing I call cluberty together, and by the end of the show, we're going to find our sweet spot. I'm Uncle Dave, and our transformation starts right here. Hey now, and how are you doing? Want to welcome you to the next episode of Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Today we have an amazing doctor coming on who's going to talk to us about stress, talked about that it's not really part of us, it's actually outside of us. So I can't wait to hear Dr. Mort Orman. How you doing, Dr. Mort? I'm fine, David. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, no, I, I, we've, we've talked about it for a while. And also to, you know, the, the stress reducing part of life is something I'm very passionate about as well. So I'd love to hear about, uh, guess how you got here. You know, I know you were a doctor for many, uh, an intern. It's not like just a doctor, but how, how'd you get here to this stress reducing part of your life? Well, I mean, I got here through medicine. I mean, through being a doctor, um, I, obviously saw a lot of the impacts of stress on my patients. <clears throat> when you follow people, I was in practice 23 years. So when you, you follow people through a, a continuum of time, you see things that happen to them and they tell you their life stories and their, their problems, their difficulties. So you see people carrying around lots of stress for years and years and years, and ultimately it ends up, you know, landing them in the hospital or having a heart attack or a stroke or some other disease or if they don't get sick, they might get divorced or become addicted to certain substances. So you just see all this, you, you just see all this uh, destruction and, 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 and pain and suffering that people go through, some of which is related to stress. So, uh, and then as a, you know, being a doctor puts you in a high stress profession. Sure. So, and, and even before, even before I went to medical school, I had um, a lot of anxiety and stress in high school and in college. It got worse in medical school and in my medical training. So, so I was struggling with my own stress. Uh, and then also I'm in a position where I'm supposed to be able to help my patients. I didn't know how to help myself, so I really couldn't help my patients. But so everywhere you turn, you know, you just see the impact of stress. And at that time in my life, I really didn't have any skill in being able to do anything about it. So that's, that's where I started from. There was always the motivation, the desire to figure it all out because I never could for my own anxieties and anger issues and relationship conflicts that I was having. I kept trying to solve them and get rid of them and get free of them. And didn't matter what I tried, just nothing worked. So, you know, I was, I was just up against the wall all the time, and which was very unusual for me because I was used to being successful at anything I really put my mind to. You know, I played a lot of sports as a kid. I was successful in sports. Um, I figured out how to become a good student academically. Uh, you know, all the challenges that I had come up against in my early life, I, I usually could figure out how to win, but not with stress. You know, stress kept slapping me down every every time I tried. And it was very, not only was I stressed, but I was demoralized. I felt bad, you know, that I couldn't get rid of it. You know, I couldn't. Uh, well, what, what was it? Well, so the question that I have for you is, was it stress or, you know, a lot of people go, it's the outside. When did you start looking inside for yourself uh, with the, about the stress? Well, yeah, I wasn't really looking inside during the, that time period, you know, up, up, I would say to my mid-30s. You know, so I'm in practice. You know, I've been practicing a couple of years. I'm struggling with stress. I'm struggling to help my patients. 
the stress. And, um, you know, I had this, I had this uh, breakthrough for myself where I, where I started doing personal development work. Mm. Uh, something that a lot of doctors won't do because they don't have the time to do it, you know, and because they're so busy. You know, fortunately, my practice wasn't overwhelming, you know, time commitment wise. I kept it relatively reasonable, uh, which was a good decision I made early on. But anyhow, it gave me some a little free time in my schedule. And so I was able to do some personal development stuff. And I, I started to just expand my awareness, stuff that I wasn't taught in medical school, learning about myself, learning about other human beings. Uh, you know, when you're a doctor, you're taking care of human beings, but they don't teach you. <laughs> what a human being is <laughs> right, they, they teach you about the mechanics of, of, of human yeah, beings they teach you about hearts and lungs and kidneys and livers and stuff like that and they assume you'll figure out what a human being is when you're taking care of them but they don't, I mean they do some, some psychology courses and stuff but they don't really prepare you for sitting down with another person you know, who's, who's scared to death because they've got some symptoms or they think they might you know, have some bad disease or something like that and or they do have a disease and you're trying to work with them and get them to make the right decisions and modify their lifestyle and cut down their own stress. And so you got all these challenges and you know, they don't really prepare you well. So I was learning this personal development stuff and it was opening my eyes to what's going on for my patients, but it also opened my eyes about me and how, what was going on with me and stress. And, and that's when I started looking inside from what I had learned from the personal development work. Um, and, um, one of the first things that uh, occurred to me from all that work was that the idea that what if what if almost everything I was taught to believe about stress in medical school wasn't really true? Mm. Wow. That was like the, that was like the big breakthrough for me. Just just being willing to ask that question and ponder that question and and really examine it and and actually go out and try to learn, you know, if, well, if everything they taught me isn't true, what the hell is true, you know? And, and then you do more personal development work to try to find people who had some insights into, you know, what is true about stress or what is true about life that brings on stress. So I was willing to do that work and it paid off, you know, because I learned a lot of things and then I changed my whole understanding of stress. And that allowed me to finally solve all these, you know, really nasty chronic problems like getting angry all the time, having anxiety, Fear of public speaking. I mean, I couldn't, I could never have done this. I would never have done this. I would have said, no, thank you. <laughs> no mas. <laughs> you know, it would be too anxiety producing for me to do a, an interview like this or to go on stage and speak to somebody. So I had all the and relationship problems. I had all these, uh, fortunately, I didn't have health problems, um, but I had all these other problems in living um, that were very concerning to me. And um, I was able finally with the stuff that I learned over a couple year period to create a whole new understanding of stress for myself that really paid dividends. And as soon as I saw that I was able to relieve most of my stress problems, again, being a physician, I knew how important stress is in people's health. So I couldn't just sit on it. You know, I, I have to teach this. So, to, so you, you, you people know about this stuff, you know? Yeah. So you, you learned, you learned about it as you started getting into personal development. At that time, what was your first go-to, right? You know, what, what was that first aha moment that, okay, there's something here that you can identify? It, it wasn't one big, you know, I did a lot of these different personal development courses and seminars and read books and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't one big, you know, you know uh, big bang kind of a thing. 
it was a series of little things that accumulated over time where the, I think the big, the big breakthrough was being willing to admit how wrong I was about so many things that I thought I was right about. Mm. You're trained as a doctor to be right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't think about being wrong. Matter of fact, it's taboo, yeah. you know, pretty much to to contemplate being wrong because you've got to be right all the time. You know, people's lives are at stake. So that willing, you know, that it was so ingrained in me over seven years of constant training, you know, be right, be right, be right, be right, and never be wrong, never, and, and there's see no value in being wrong. You know, that was like the worst thing you could do as a doctor is be wrong, make the wrong diagnosis, prescribe the wrong treatment, write the wrong prescription whatever you know so for me to be willing to go through all that conditioning mm -hmm. which is, is good for phys being a physician you know it works for being a physician yeah. but in your personal life you know if you really want to have breakthroughs in, in areas where you're not succeeding where you want to you've got to start realizing you're probably wrong about stuff and, and i wasn't able to do that until my mid-30s and from all this personal development exposure where i kept bumping into things that i thought i knew but i didn't and, then I, you know, and that's usually the biggest challenge, uh, you know, when you, when you said it, that's why I was writing down, you know, because yeah. most people need, feel the need to be more right and then to accept that part. But that's a really strong part to say, hey, even though I've been doing it for a while, there might be a better way to do it or yeah. or that I just did it wrong. You know, I, you know, or and, that some things that I really strongly believe or I've, I've been taught to believe in, you know, and I, and I have collected evidence for you know, to reinforce my belief, what if they're wrong? Right. So that whole question, what if that started my whole process? What if everything I was taught about stress was wrong? And then being willing to hang in there with that thought and explore it, you know, um, was the same thing I had to do over and over again. What if I'm wrong about relationships? What if I'm wrong about anger? What if I'm wrong about public speaking fear? It turns out I was wrong about all those things. <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. So what were you wrong? The door. That opened the door for me to have some new insights and breakthroughs. No? What, what were you wrong about uh, regarding stress or, or anger? Well, take uh, <laughs> so <laughs> one of the funny things when I look back on it, it's funny. It wasn't so funny when it happened, but I, I took up took up tennis when I was in my late twenties. I think it was my third year of residency. And I took up tennis. I joined the racket club, and I took started taking lessons from a really good pro at the club. And I, and I learned how to play tennis really well. But that was that was like a curse because then I started to get angry every time I missed a shot that I thought I should have made or I lost a point I thought I should have won. And I would just be storming around the tennis court. You know, I'd be cursing up a storm. I'd be smashing my racket against, you know, things and disturbing people on the courts next to me. And I, I was very much like John McEnroe. If you ever saw John McEnroe. I do, yeah, I, I'm very familiar. I, I'm at that age. Uh, yes, I remember so I him well. At that time, he was in his heyday, so he's on TV all the time, and you see his, you see him, you know, going off on the tennis. I was very much like him, and 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 I couldn't, I couldn't control it. I couldn't do anything about it. You know, I, I didn't like it. You know, but, but it just, I didn't feel I had any control. I kept trying things that didn't work. So one of the things I was wrong about is I, I was, I didn't understand anger. I didn't understand what causes anger in a human being. I, I didn't know the internal causes. You know, yeah, I saw the, I missed the shot. Somebody said something. Somebody looked at me the wrong way. Somebody didn't follow my advice as a patient. You know, I could see all the external stuff, but I didn't know the internal 
mechanism that produces anger, how you're thinking, how you're behaving. I was completely blind to all of that. And once I saw that, once I understood what that was, man, that just really opened the door. Because then I could, every time I got angry, I could, I knew where it was coming from. I knew how I was thinking, you know, and I could step in and say, and I can examine that. And I'd say, is, is it true? Mm-hmm. Is what I'm seeing, is what I'm feeling, is what I'm perceiving or assuming, you know, are, are they true? And a lot of times when you dig in, once you know, once you know what the question, when you dig in, you find, oh, wait a second, that's, no, that was just some automatic perception I had, this knee-jerk perception. When I really think about it, yep. that probably wasn't true, you know? And then the minute you realize it wasn't true, and if it's driving the anger, the anger just goes away. It just dissolves. Yeah, well, once you're able to question that, uh, yes. you know, and remove some of those triggers, uh, because you, you realize that the triggers were, were for something else, not for what's happening at that exact moment. That, that's yeah. was, and, I, and I didn't understand how the body and the, ma- and the brain work, you know, is that we, we, we do get triggered and, and, and it's an automatic, it's due to our conditioning. So we've been conditioned throughout our life, however we have been, mm-hmm. and to see things certain ways and think about things certain ways, react certain ways. So somebody, we get triggered, these internal thoughts automatically occur. Our body and mind and brain believe them to be true. And anger ensues, <laughs> and and that's the mechanism, you know. And um, it, it's just so knee-jerk, it's so automatic, and and the structure of it has a lot of flaws that we don't see when it's happening. It happens so fast and so automatically. Well, that's the biggest challenge is, is that it it often, especially with anger, it happens so so quickly that you don't realize some of the triggers. You know, uh, like for me. Uh, if you pointed at me, because I had some experiences when I was younger uh, that used to set me off. And once I found out that that was a trigger and I'm talking to some friends and they're like, oh, yeah, we knew that. I'm like, dude, nobody told me anything, you know, and and, yeah, and sometimes and, other people can see it and we can't because it's, you know, it's well, just, it's that forest from the tree type of yeah. mentality. And once I, I did it now, you can point at me. I could I could recognize it. But I'm like, all right, no big deal. Uh, you yeah. know, it's, that's the powerful part of the next step that I'd like to talk to you about is how do you remove these stresses or anger or anxiety that, uh, that, that we find within ourselves once we're open to that? Well, once you understand that it's self, a lot of it is self-generated, you, you, you can't remove the triggers. Life's going to happen. People are going to point at you. People are going to do what they do. They're going to say what they say. You know, you, you can't stop that. Okay. Right. And and to a large degree, you can't keep yourself from having that knee-jerk reaction initially. See, I I, I look at it that you can. You can't stop people from pointing at you, like in my instance. Like that you can't do. But I can take away my ability to react poorly because of that. Yes, and in the beginning, you won't be able to stop it right away. So in the beginning, what's going to happen is you're going to get triggered. You're going to react. And then after you react, you can then look at it or realize, hey, I reacted for a, a really stupid reason or whatever. So I'm not going to keep going with that reaction. You know, I'm going to short circuit it right here because now I understand. But and so that's what happened for me in the beginning. You know, the first couple of years, I had to work at it. And then eventually these same triggers just stopped bothering, me, yep. you know, because I had done it so many times. I'd gone through the process of 
well, this is BS and this is BS. <laughs> it's like once once you've done that a thousand times, you know, the hundred thousand and first time it happens, you just like well, it doesn't even you don't get the reaction anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like that. Yeah, it's, it's that rewiring or optimizing your brain and, and the way that we react. That's recondition, huge. Reconditioning your body and your brain, you know, to react differently. Yeah. Yeah. So, what brings you peace and joy now? Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about peace, love, and bringing a bat. Uh, obviously, not. You know, when we bring a bat, we're just talking about boundaries. But what brings you peace and, and love right now, as you're finding people and, and you're working with people on stress reduction and anxiety reduction? Yeah, well, I, I feel like I've really been blessed because, like I said, when I, uh, to my mid-30s, I'm, I'm 74 now, so in my mid-30s, uh, I was just a bag of stress. You know, I was just really had a lot of problems. And since I discovered these insights that I, I kind of built them into a system that I used for getting at the root causes of any kind of stressful problem that I could be struggling with, so whether it's anger or anxiety or fear of public speaking, or relationship problems or the stress of being a doctor or COVID, you know, some crazy thing happens, whatever. Um, so I have that system that I use now and I've been using it for 40 years very successfully. So I've had very little, I mean, people won't believe this, but I've had very little stress over the last 40 years and I've been in very high pressure situations. I worked in a corporate job for 15 years where people were dropping like flies from the stress. I thrived in that environment. You know, I had a great time during those 15 years. I, I had fun all the time. I enjoyed going to work, you know, and other people just were really getting uh, getting stressed out by the whole thing. So so I've been very blessed to have had led a low-stress life for the last 40 years, despite being in very high-stress circumstances that cause a lot of difficulties for people. And, and so I've had a lot of peace over those 40 years. And I've helped a lot of other people you know, uh, gain more peace in, in their life and help them with their, you know, not only with their emotions, but with their relationships. And, and, and that is very satisfying to, to work with people, to, to, to help them become winners at whatever they're trying to win at in life. Just like I finally became a winner in dealing with stress and a winner in dealing with my anger and a winner in dealing with relationships. But my wife and I just celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. Um, and uh, uh, I even use that same system to become a winner at playing backgammon. <laughs> you know, it's like crazy. <laughs> but it's, it's, so you can use that same system for anything you're struggling with and not being successful at. If it's if you have the inner in, the innate ability to be good at it, which most of us do, you know, it's just a matter of unlocking the keys, you know, to get at that inner your talent that we all have, the capabilities that we all have, that a lot of times go wasted. You know? Could you explain to us a little bit about your, like a 30,000 foot? Obviously, when working individually, uh, there's a lot of different nuances and things like that. But uh, sure. could you explain to us a little bit about on a 30,000 foot level what the your process is? Yeah, well, what you have to understand is the process came from a total revamping of my understanding of stress, taking everything that everybody current, most people currently believe is true about stress today and turning it on its head and finding out what really is true about stress. So it starts with realizing that stress is, stress is not a thing. It's not like a disease. It's not a condition. It's a word. It's basically a term. 
that some guy invented in the 1940s named Hans Selye. Before, did you know before 1940, nobody ever suffered from stress? I did not know that. The word wasn't in use before 1940. So everybody who went through and fought in World War I, not a single one of those soldiers ever had stress on the battlefield, <laughs> okay? Or if their buddy next to them, you know, got blown, blown to smithereens. They had difficulties. <laughs> but they didn't have this word stress to talk about it, okay? So um, it turns out stress is just a word that we use to stand for problems that we're having in life. On problems that are making us feel bad or interfering with our happiness or our success or whatever, okay, whatever we want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so when you and I say we're stressed, we're not really suffering from stress, we're suffering from problems. Mm. So, so the first thing I had to do was like try to get this word stress out of my mind. And, and, not, and the worst thing you can do is ask yourself the question, how can I deal with my stress? Because the minute you do that, you're chasing a unicorn. Sure, right. Because if it's not if it if it's not there, it's the challenges that are coming up to you that you need it's to overcome. Problems. Right. It's the problem, yeah, it's the challenges and problems you're having. Now those you can those are real. Those are not just words. Okay. So the so stress is a word. Appendicitis is also a word. But appendic but it's a word for a real thing. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you've got appendicitis, you don't want to you don't want to blow the word off and say, Oh, it's just a word. No, it's a real problem. Well, stress is not. You, you, you're much better off if you, when you say you have stress is I'm going to throw that word out. I'm going to rename it problems and then go searching for, well, okay, what are the, now get clear. What are the problems I'm having in my life? And then the next question is where are those problems coming from? But you can't do that when you're in the stress management mindset because the stress management industry teaches us to take all of our problems in life, dump them all together in one basket, label that basket stress, and then ask ourselves, how can I deal with my stress? Mm. And that's a losing proposition. But that's what everybody's been taught to do. It's it's literally the emperor has no clothes, circa 2022. <laughs> and, and for the last four decades or more, you know, it's like, it's crazy talk if you really think about it and look at it. So I had to get rid of the word stress, focus on my problems. And then when you, then you got to get at the causes and what you were talking about to the, the causes of our problems in life always are not just the external stuff, but it's external plus internal. Mm-hmm. It's always the equation. But we, we're blind to the internal. All we see is the external. And all that gets reinforced by all the institutions and all the, the media and all the attention, it all goes to the external, as if the internal isn't even playing a role. So again, it makes us blind to what's really going on. We'll be back in a moment. This is John. And Mark Cronin from John's Crazy Socks. And we're interrupting to say we hope you're enjoying this episode. But please make sure to check out our show, The Spreading Happiness Podcast. Another great show produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes are available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Join us on our new podcast as we continue our mission, Spreading Happiness. Thank you, folks. You're listening to Peace, Love, and Bring It Back. 
with me, Uncle Dave, Dave Shemetsky. That's yeah. the scariest part, right? The, the monsters under our bed are not as scary as the monsters in our head. I say this all the time because yeah. that's the stuff that, you know, we might know what the monster is. We might not want to say those things. We might not want to deal with those things. Uh, and and it was, so using uh, just another word, anxiety, is that what causes us anxiety? Or is anxiety much like just how we're handling uh, the stress that you know the, the 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 problems that we have. Well, here's where here's where that word stress gets very confusing for us because again we use it to deal to talk about any problem that we might have. So under the umbrella of stress, you can have very specific problems like I'm having anxiety or anxiety attacks, or I get anxious when I fly on a plane, or you know I get anxious when I speak in public, or I have anger issues, or my relationships keep falling apart or I'm having financial difficulties that are recurring, you know, whatever it is, you know, I'm having, I'm having problems with my boss at work. I'm having problems with my coworkers at work. We, we, we use the same term. So, so anxiety is a real thing. Anger is a real thing. Relationship conflicts are real things. People get divorced. That's a real thing. Okay. So those are all real issues. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at anxiety and say, what's causing anxiety? Well, it's the way we think most of the time, you know, um, if, if you think there's a monster under your bed, whether there's one there or not, you're going to be anxious. Right. You know, one, one example I give is, you know, if you go to your bedroom one night and, and a friend is pulling a prank on you and puts a very realistic looking spider, plastic spider on your pillow, you know, when you approach your bed, you're going to get frightened, you know, like a tarantula or something like that, you know, but it's made of plastic you're going to get scared. You're going to get scared out of your boots, you know? And why did that happen? Because you perceived it in a way that produced anxiety. The reality is it's, it's not going to hurt you as a plastic spider, but you, that the, the reality isn't what causes right. our anxiety. It's a, right. Re- reality has nothing to do with the, the, uh, the symptoms, you know, sometimes because, you know, I've used the, the extreme example. If you're in a bank robbery and you are holding the pen at that moment, you might now, you know, the next time you hold a pen in a completely different circumstance would trigger that that memory, and then yeah. you, you get anxious to, you know, we don't know what, I mean, that's why uh, when you mentioned about flying, I know I've worked with a bunch of people who had that anxiety, and a lot of that was because of they're being held down as a child, you know, in a, in a loving way even in a couple of the cases. You know, if your mom holds you too tight, in a car, you know, where you and I are old enough where we didn't always use seatbelts for everything. Yeah. But uh, it's all those things, how yeah. we trigger. And, and they, condition, they can condition us to react in certain circumstances with thoughts that are anxiety-producing or anger-producing or sadness-producing, however it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where a lot of that stuff comes from. Now, I mean... If you're crossing the street and, and a, you know an 18 wheeler is coming at you at 60 miles an hour, you, you want to be anxious. <laughs> you yeah. want to pull back. Sure. <laughs> so sometimes reality is real. <laughs> well, it's uh, an inescapability moment. That's yeah. that's yeah. The, the often the, the the triggering piece that when yeah. you feel that you're not able to escape where you were in, in a case that was unsafe, even with the plastic spider, you know you felt fearful for it. Nobody could take that away from you. 
until you're able to re- remove the, the, those pieces. But, but let me tell you how that plays out with, with a very common fear, which is public speaking fear, which, which millions and millions of people have. And they rate it, sometimes they rate it as the top fear that they can imagine having, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they experience it that way. And I had that same thing. When my first speaking opportunity was I was in the first grade and we had this big assembly where we had practiced um, memorize. We each had a paragraph in a story. They had we had to memorize, okay. And then we they at the, the day of the assembly, all the students from the school were there, and our parents were invited. The huge room we were in, auditorium, and they put us up on the stage like the Rockettes, you know, in the line. And one by one, we came up to this microphone, which was sitting in the center of the stage, and we recited our. Our paragraph. Well, I had memorized my paragraph backwards and forwards. I mean, I knew it like the back of my hand, you know. And um, I was like six or eight from the from the end of the line, and everybody did a great job. But when I came up to the microphone and I looked out at that audience, I'd never practiced in front of an audience before. And I, lo- I looked out at that, and not only that, but in the back, to my surprise, the back of the room was all mirrored. <laughs> so so, it right, it makes 000. it makes it look that much worse. It looked like there was ten thousand. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was totally unprepared for that, and it just caught me by surprise, and I just blanked. You know, I said, I, I got the first two words out, and, and I went blank. And, and all I could do was remember the first two words. I kept saying the first two words. I was standing there like a deer in the headlights, and finally the principal came over and, you know, rescued me and put me back in line and said, don't worry, we'll give you, a, you know, when the other people are finished, we'll give you another chance to do your thing. And, and so everybody finished, and he came up to me, and he said, would you like to go back? No. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, yeah. And from that moment on, I feared public speaking like the worst thing in the world. I did everything I could to avoid it, you know, to not have to do it. And when I had to do it, I was a basket case. And when I was delivering, no matter how I prepared, I was shaking and nervous and trembling, and it was horrible, okay? Uh, and I would be, you know, I would not sleep well a couple nights before, and then I would feel bad about it and I perform a couple days after. It was like a multi-day ordeal, okay? And I had no insight as to where it was coming from. To me, it was coming from public speaking. To me, my theory was public speaking is inherently a stressful, you know, event. Some people have the public speaking gene and they can do it, and other people like me don't, okay? And it's just a horrible experience. And so I blamed it all on public speaking. I had no insight that I was playing a role at all. <laughs> sure. Okay. But then when I did, when I finally started looking inside and started saying, well, let me, you know, how am I making public speaking anxiety producing when maybe it isn't? You know, maybe public speaking isn't anxiety producing at all. Maybe I'm making it anxiety producing. How would I be doing that? <laughs> I didn't know. But you know what? I figured it out. And I was doing it in very specific ways. Okay. So one of the first things I did is I assumed that the role of a public speaker is to win the approval of the audience. Mm-hmm. You get everybody in the audience to like your talk and to like you and to feel good about what you're saying. And that is not the truth about public speaking. That's a very unrealistic goal. You know, there are going to be some people in every audience that are not going to be paying attention, that didn't sleep the night before, that are worried about some sick kid or sick relative, and they're not paying any attention to you, and they could care less about you. <laughs> no Correct. You know? And, and, and another thing I thought, I, so and coupled with that was the idea that public speaking is about getting something from the audience. You have to prepare a perfect speech, 
and deliver it perfectly so you, you win the approval of the audience. That's also not true about public speaking. Public speaking is about having something of value that you want to share with other people right. that maybe not everybody will find valuable, but uh, hopefully, you know, a lot of people will. And you just get up and you just share it. You just give it to, to the audience. And, and some won't like it. Some will be neutral. Some of you hate it, but there'll be hopefully people that will get value from it. And so it's a, it's a giving uh, experience, not a getting experience. So, but, but when you see it as getting and it has to be perfect to get it, then that puts all that pressure on you to be perfect. You can't make a mistake. You know, you can't look uncomfortable. You can't be uncomfortable. You can't admit anything, you know, as you're, you're experiencing any discomfort or anything. So I had all this stuff going on about public speaking that was crap out. You know, yeah. and, and, and as I dug into it, I said, I mean, that's not true about public speaking. That's not. What if I just got out there and just gave something of value to people? How would I feel then? So I did that. I practiced, I gave some speeches and I tried coming at it in a different way. And lo and behold, it was easier. You know, and you asked me what gives me peace now. Well, a lot of things, as I said, what I really said was all my whole life has been peaceful pretty much before you. But I feel most peaceful now, which is crazy. I feel most peaceful now when I'm standing in front of a group of people and speaking off the cuff to them with no prepared remarks. Yeah, no no. I'm just standing up in front of them, giving something, of, you know, just extemporaneously. I know I've got something of value. I don't know how I'm going to say it, but I know it's going to come out. Okay. And, I, and I'm just up there and I'm just being with the audience. I'm just giving to the audience. That's fun. That is, and for me to be able to experience public speaking as peaceful and fun, when I look back at my past and how I experienced it up to my mid thirties, it's like unbelievable that a human being could have that change of experience. I, I, I agree because uh, in, in middle school, I had gotten, you know, you have to, again, you, that's usually the time where many of our challenges are, right? You have to speak up in front of the class, yeah. and I had to give a math presentation. Uh, math has never been my strong suit, so I, I gave it. And, you know, back in the day, we didn't always type. Not everybody had a computer early on. I mean, this is, we're talking about late 70s, uh, early 80s. And uh, so I hand wrote my, my report, and I wrote the word statistics wrong. See, now I make sure I say statistics right, because I wrote statics, and I kept on reading statics. The teacher started getting angry at me, making fun of me, and... <laughs> coughing, even just uh, bringing it up. And I go, and I remember being laughed at for so many years and never wanting to talk. And now I, I don't mind, you want me to go? Uh, you know, the things I know, the things I, I do well, I do well. The things I don't do well, yeah. I still don't do well, but then it's an opportunity. Um, yeah. Now, So all this yeah. has, has brought you so many different things. I mean, you stopped being an angry person. You yeah. stopped being anxious. Uh, you cured yourself of, uh, of public uh, speaking you cured yeah. yourself of most stress well most problems that might have caused that imaginary word stress uh what other things ha ha has brought you i mean you, you know you you've kind of gone the, ga the gamut of not only the scientific way uh the medical way right the, the the trained way but the untrained way that has taught you so much i mean yeah. you know when i look at some of your, your bio. I mean, you have 20 books. You've written 20 books. You've done workshops since 1980, which is really huge because in 1980, nobody was talking about stress. I mean, you know, while we are now becoming more open about talking about mental health and stress reducing and 
all this other stuff. In 1980, when you first started, nobody was, you know, I'm sure that that might have caused you some anxiety. There's a funny story about how I did, did my first stress seminar. So I, I had this personal breakthrough in my life around stress. I had experienced the benefits for a couple of years. And again, I told you as a physician, when, you, when you've gone through that personally and you know how you did it, you have the thought, well, I could teach other people how to have these breakthroughs. But I wasn't a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I didn't have the mental health credential. I wanted to, give a, I wanted to try a workshop to see if I could do it. But I was held back by my fear that I wouldn't be well received or people would come down on me for trespassing into the mental health field or something like that without the proper credentials. Um, but I had talked to a couple of people about, you know, I was just floating the idea with a couple of friends about whether, you know, they thought I should do it or not. And somehow it leaked out. And, and I, so I was at my hospital. One Saturday morning, I had made rounds. I had a couple of people in the hospital, and I had made rounds, checked them out. And I'm sitting in the lobby of the hospital reading the morning paper before I went back to my car to drive home. And the head of the HR department of the hospital comes walking out. He apparently had come into the office that morning. Comes walking out. He, he sees me sitting there, and he comes up to me, and he says, Oh, I hear you do, um, you do stress workshops. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I had been struggling with this, should I do it, shouldn't I do it? And, and when he came up and he said that, you know, it's like my thought was, I think the universe is tapping. Yep. The universe will always bring you to where you need to be. Maybe this, maybe this is the sign. <laughs> and so I said, uh, I said, yes, <laughs> even though I had, you know, I knew I had. But I said, yes. And, and I said, well, why do you ask? And he said, well, um, our employees have asked, you know, for me to put together a stress workshop for them. Would you be interested in doing it? And I said, again, with very confidently, I said, absolutely, I would be happy to do it. And he said, great, well, come this Saturday. He said, well, come in Monday morning and we'll, we'll talk about the details and all that kind of stuff. So I ran home. I was petrified out of my mind. <laughs> I called a friend of mine who was a psychologist who did do stress workshops. And I asked him if he would help me do this first one and we would put it together and he we let it together. It was mostly my ideas because he was in a stress management area and this was stress elimination uh, training. But anyhow, that's how I got to do my first one. It was very successful. People loved it. And then from that, I was off and running from that point. It was just, you know, pretty bar the door. I was just doing workshops all over the place. But that's how I got my foot in the door when I might have prevented myself from actually discovering that a, I had the ability to teach it. B, I enjoyed it, and, and people liked it. Well, that's part of the the, the journey of life is, is taking those opportunities when they're presented to us. Yes, they don't always work out, but a lot of times they do. Now, so I, I know uh, one of the quotes that you, we had talked about uh, is, is it, "It's not only possible; it's not that whole hard to do." So, is that? really that easy to, to reduce your, your, your stress or eliminate it, as you said. It's, it, it's not only management, it's really the elimination of, of thinking. Well, it's, not, it's, it's the opposite of management. Right. It, not only is it not management, it's the opposite of management. Because man, stress management, if you look at it, is mainly dealing with symptoms. There are, there are a few stress management techniques that get at causes. For example, if you're, if you're really poor at time management and organization, and you take a time management course, which is under the umbrella of stress management techniques or mm -hmm. practices, 
uh, and you get better organized and you have a system for managing your time. Well, you've just addressed a root cause of your stress or overwhelm or whatever you were feeling, one of the, one of the root causes. But mostly, mostly, most of the stress management stuff is just toning down the symptoms so you feel better. And you can do the same thing with alcohol and drugs and cigarettes and stuff. But and the and the um, the attraction of stress management is that it doesn't have all the negative aspects of those things. It's healthier. It has positive health benefits, which it does. But it's still a symptom-oriented approach. My approach is forget about symptoms of directly attacking the symptoms and get at the causes if you can do that your symptoms will go away mm. right but get at the cause that's the best way to deal with any problem we have in life so my when i say stress elimination i'm talking about getting at root causes and it turns out those root causes are not that complex you don't have to be a psychiatrist you don't have to be a psychologist there's simple things like good and bad seeing things in terms of good and bad or right and wrong or cause and effect yeah or having unrealistic expectations or negative thinking. You know, these are all things that we can observe about ourselves and recognize in ourselves. Or like, like you mentioned that earlier, wanting the need to be right all the time and to, to be unwilling to consider you might be wrong. That's not hard to understand. It's hard to do for most right. people. <laughs> it's not hard to understand that that could be a, an internal cause of stress, failing to ask for help. You know? It's funny. I was just reading a story. I was just reading a story in a book of stories. It's about a father and a son are walking through the the, the forest and near, near where they live, and they encountered this this big tree branch that had fallen on the road. And it's a young boy with a father, and the young boy says, "Dad, do you think I can? Do you think I can? You know, move this branch?" And the father says, "Yes, son. I think you can do it if you use all your strength." And so the kid tries to move the log or the branch, and he, and he can't budge it. You know. And he goes back and he says to the dad, he's very disappointed. He said, Dad, you were wrong. I can't do it. And the father says, try again, son. And so he tries again as hard as he can to move in and he can't budge it. And he goes back to the father and says, Dad, I told you, I can't do it. And the father says, well, son, I, I told you to use all your strength. And you didn't ask me for help. Always use all of your resources. That's uh, so powerful. Yeah, that's what we do in life. We we go through life. We're reluctant to ask for help. We have too much pride, or or we have this thought that's a sign of weakness. When if you go up to any billionaire or any highly you know Elon Musk, any highly successful person like uh, even Donald Trump, you know they'll tell you they ask for help all the time. You know, and, and they're and they're open to it. They they receive it and they they act on it sometimes. You know, so this whole mythology we have about it's weak to ask for help or you got to do it yourself, kind of like the American cowboy, independent, lone ranger. Yeah, but uh, even then, uh, you, you know, it's trial and error. Uh, you know, that that's why the idea of perfection ha has really caused us a lot more uh, happiness than anything else. Because that's, there another, is, that's, that's another very common cause of stress in, in life. Again, not hard to understand. Right. Desire to be perfect. It's just very unrealistic yep. most of the time and it's not necessary most of the time unless you're a brain surgeon now there you might need it okay <laughs> yeah right or you're shooting you know you're you're sending astronauts up you know to the moon or to mars or whatever you better be perfect <laughs> um, but even in both of those cases there's backup right right obviously they even acknowledge that you know you, you try to be perfect 
uh, especially yeah. brain surgery. Uh, but you know, there, there's there's degrees uh, yes. of of success, and there's, there's degrees of ra- you know rational risk. Yes, you know to risk well. Yeah. Okay. Now I know we we've taken a lot of your time. Is there any final words that you'd like to share with us in terms of you know? Uh, I always call them the magic garden. You know, what seeds would you continue us to, to plant and, and to nurture? Well, the, the first thing that I already mentioned is I would advise everybody listening to this to stop believing that the word stress means something in and of itself and to always replace it with the word problems whenever they hear it. Just make that little mental mm-hmm. flip, flip of the switch. You know, whenever you hear the word stress, either somebody else say it or you say it to yourself just substitute problems and that'll put you on a much better path if you're willing to follow that path, you know, where to getting at the causes. And then the other thing I would, I would want people to think about is, uh, I think the one of the biggest myths that we have today is the myth that life is just inherently stressful, that it's not possible to live a low stress life in today's high stress, crazy world and be productive and successful in life and be low stress at the same time. And I've proven that to be a myth. You know, I've had the last 40 years of my life, very, very productive, done a lot of great things, like you know, read, uh, published all those books, uh, did all those workshops, uh, produced all the stuff that I produced in the stress field, worked with all kinds of clients, very little stress in the process. 15 years in corporate land, very little stress in the process, okay? So it is entirely possible if you know how to do it, to be low stress in today's world and be very productive and very peaceful and happy at the same time. We let people convince us that it's not possible. And when we believe it's not possible, we won't search for the ways to do it. And there are ways to do it. I I teach people how to do it. There's probably a few other people out there that can teach people how to do it. But it is absolutely possible. But you got to believe it first. It, it, it's all got to start from you, uh, you know, and that's what I say. It's or you got to not fall prey to the to the myth correct. Know, that it can't be done. So, and, and a good rule of thumb is if people are doing it, it's possible. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and that's where we we then have to identify the idea that it can't be me. It, it I can't do it. Other people can do it, and then that becomes uh, what we look at. Yeah, it's actually the opposite. If I could do it, there was really nothing special about me at the time I did this, and nothing special about me since. I mean, I just had the, the good fortune to come up with an idea that I pursued, or a question that I pursued, and I pursued it determinedly. And I happened to get exposure to some good people that helped me pursue it in the right way and, and understand things I didn't understand. And so I had a lot of good fortune along the way, but I'm, I was just an average guy uh and and there's nothing special nothing that nothing that i have that you don't have or anybody listening to this doesn't have we can all recognize the need to be right we can all recognize thinking in terms of good and bad and right and wrong and we can all basically tell the truth when we force ourselves to do it or other people encourage us to do it these are not we all can make choices in how we're going to respond to our reactivity and getting triggered, you know, these, these are basic human superpowers mm-hmm. that, that we all have, and and we just don't utilize them the way we could. 
All right. Well, how how can everybody contact you? We'll put in the notes. I know uh, your website, and, and I know you have a a book that you're uh, you're willing to share with everybody. Um, yeah. So my website is is uh, doc docorman dot com d o c o r m a n dot com, and um, I I have a URL for a, a free book, uh, truthaboutstress dot com, and uh, there's a book there called The Ultimate Method for Dealing with Stress, where I go into more detail about what we've been talking about today and the methodology that I've developed and that I use. It's a very short book and um, you can download it and you don't have to pay for it on Amazon where it's for sale right now. But if anybody wants to take advantage of that, can do that. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, you brought us some peace and love and definitely told us that there is no stress in life. Uh, it's an imaginary no problem, word. No There's problems. <laughs> right, right. You didn't, you didn't say that there weren't, but it's, it's, it's how coping about that. And that's that bring a bat moment. And that bring a bat moment is just, you know, knowing your boundaries, starting yeah. to take control of yourself, making sure you have the right balance and knowing what your non-negotiables are. And for everybody, I just hope you find your sweet spot and knock it out of the park. Have a great day. Thanks so much. I'm really glad that you're enjoying our show. Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by David Chemetsky and George Andriopoulos. Music selections by James Grant, Zach Nelson, and James Gaither, and licensed through Storyblock. Sound effects and sponsorship music licensed through Epidemic Sound. Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat is hosted with Podbean. Subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share with all of your friends. Follow us on Facebook at Peace, Love, and Bring a Back. Follow me, Uncle Dave, Dave Shemetsky, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. You can find all those links and more info at davidshemetsky.com. For show ideas, feedback, guest inquiries, or just a chat, reach out to me at peacelovebringabat at gmail.com. For sponsorship and media inquiries, reach out to peacelovebringabat at lp516.com. Make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Today's journey has come to a close, my friends. I hope the seeds of peace and love continue to grow for each one of you. Remember that peace and love surrounds you and will assist you to rise again. But don't forget to bring it back for what you believe in. Namaste. Namaste.